We're going to be in Psalm 62 today, if you'd like to open up your copy of Scripture uh, there. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use the one uh, in the bottom of the seatback of the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible at all, we'd love for you to take that one home. One of the things we'd love is for everyone to have their own copy of Scripture. This morning, we're going to continue our series uh, in the kind of Advent Psalms entitled Christmas Songs. And this morning's uh, song, as you can probably already guess, is the song of peace. Peace is something that we all want, all uh, lack at one point or another, and seems like is a bit of a premium in our culture. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, 19.1% of U.S. adults had one or more anxiety disorders in the last year, and 31% will have an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. And the holidays, which is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, can instead be often described with words like stress, sadness, anxious, or depressed. And in the midst of all the things that need to get done, the adverse weather, the less than perfect family visits, reminders of lost loved ones, extra financial pressures, stretching an already stretched budget, it even seems like the season is against us, right? We're coming up to the shortest day of the year, and it gets so dark that uh, for some of us, you can go to work and it'll be dark. And then by the time you'll leave work, it'll be dark again. And you'll wonder what happened to the sun. That was me when I worked for Epic. Uh, I worked for Epic for three years. I, I worked in four buildings and five offices. And in none of those offices did I have an external window. So I would go and it would be dark and I'd come out and it'd be dark. And, and that was just life for a little bit. Stress and worry often characterize this time of year, and it's no wonder. And yet we're told, even commanded in Scripture, do not be anxious. I'm thinking of uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It's kind of the quintessential uh, don't worry, don't be anxious verse, but I'm going to read it anyway. Um, so we'll stay in Psalm 62, and we'll uh, try to have all of our cross-references up on the up on the screen so you can follow along, but it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the, the question I'm, I'm asking this morning, the question I'm trying to answer is, how do I get that peace? So I know I'm supposed to not be anxious. I know there is this peace that surpasses understanding, but sometimes it just seems so elusive. And my little caveat would be, I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, and, and I do, because it is sometimes hard to have peace. And if, if someone comes to me with anxiety, the solution isn't, hey, I have a really good sermon for you. Listen to this 40 minutes. And like, you'll be good for the rest of your life. Like, peace forever. You'll never feel anxious again, right? It's not that simple. So don't hear me say that. Hear me say, I see you. And hear me say, 
I think what God has for us this morning is part of the answer we're looking for here and certainly uh, moves us in that right direction towards peace. And so I'm going to present it this way as um, four ways to access the peace of the coming Messiah or kind of three plus one. You'll see why at the end. But it's kind of like this. Uh, Know God, let go of control, desire eternal things, and finally remember the Prince of Peace. But before we get into all of that, Let's just pray and ask God for his help this morning. Father, I admit uh, peace is elusive for me this morning. I feel uh, like there's a million things going around in my head, and I feel like there's more than I could possibly remember and get right uh, in my own strength. And yet your word promises to me um, that in 1 Corinthians 10.13, that you won't give me more than I can handle. And it certainly feels like that. But it's, it's not more than I can handle with your strength and with your help. And so uh, just pray for uh, acquieting our hearts this morning, Father, as we come to your word to hear from you and just um, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit as we Read these scriptures and your word is proclaimed. Grant us the peace that comes from you alone, that surpasses understanding. Amen. So like Dave mentioned last week, similarly, before he read through the passage, Psalms don't really lend themselves well to, okay, these first two verses are this point, and then these next two verses are this point, this nice kind of chronological outline. So um, I'll do my best to kind of point out the spots I see all these different kind of themes in the psalm, uh, but that's why we'll kind of read through Psalm 62 at the beginning, and then then we'll chat about it as we go. So again, 62, starting in verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. But no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. So as promised, the first way we can have true peace this holiday season is to know God. That's kind of the whole first point is to know God. And when I say know God, don't don't hear me say like theism, that there's a God out there somewhere, he's numerically one, 
that sort of knowing God, like knowing God exists. I'm talking about knowing some specifics about God's character, his ability, what he's done, what he will do, what he's promised that can minister to us. Look at, and um, just looking at this passage this morning, I was about to say, looking at verse one through two, gives us some specific truths to think about. So if you'd look there with me, salvation, our eternal security, comes from him. That's something very specific about God. Our, our salvation comes from him. He provides that for us. And that leads us to this metaphor of the fortress. He is our fortress. Now think about what a fortress would have meant for them in those days. The obvious one is security, right? But um, some other things would have come along with that, right? It's a place where you can kind of let your guard down. It's a place where you can, in a sense, rest. Where you, in other places, as you're traveling on the road, resting in a different way that you possibly couldn't in other places. And I don't think these two kind of characteristics are random. Like, why did he pick from him comes our salvation, that he is our fortress. And I think we'll, we'll talk about this more in the next point, but the, the short of it is, because God is the source of our salvation, he is our rock and our fortress, and I won't be shaken. I don't have to be shaken because my salvation is secure in him. Like I said, we'll return to this idea in verses five through eight. But it's not just the same idea, it's almost the exact same phrasing. If you look and kind of compare verses one and two, and it's verses five through eight. If you studied scripture for some time, you're familiar with it, this shouldn't be surprising for you, especially uh, Old Testament, especially Hebrew poetry. And what I'm about to say is kind of a sidebar, but I think it's, it's worth the price of admission kind of on its own. So that's, that's your cue to like, kind of listen in, right? <laughs> Hebrew poetry is characterized by three things. Metaphor, terseness, and parallelism. Metaphor, terseness, and parallelism. So not just this morning as we're studying together, but when you're at home reading your Bible and you happen to be in the Psalms, you can look for parallelism, terseness, and metaphor. We've already had a couple of metaphors, right? The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. And by terseness, I simply mean that they were very intentional about what details were included, what words they used, and what wasn't included. We kind of see this in Old Testament narratives too. What characters get, get kind of airtime, what characters even get a name, what uh, kind of, out of all the things these people did, what specific kind of things are said and, and what details are provided. And parallelism is simply matching the, the form of words or phrases uh, to um, our clauses, typically for clarity or emphasis or to the, to the point of clarity or emphasis. So how does that affect Psalm 62? So in verses 1 through 2 and 5 through 6, we have this almost exact same phrasing, just slightly different. But David, who probably wrote this psalm, um, if you have your Bible open, it probably says a psalm of David uh, around the, the heading. 
Um, and there's some clues in there, which will, in the next few verses of, of these people that are attacking him or are trying to bring him down from his, his lofty position. So it seems like it's either written by David or written by someone else about David. But whoever was in the psalmist is emphasizing that in the midst of all these attacks described in that verses three through four is sandwiched between these other verses describing how the Lord is their rock. As in, in the midst of these attacks, the only way to stand, to find hope, to stand firm is in the Lord. So, what about us? We say we know our salvation comes from God, but does our life, our thinking, reflect that? When I have a few different things coming up at the same time, or, or big things, or a lot of things I've never done before, I'm tempted to worry or to think too much about those things. And when I do that, what does that say about my view of God in those situations? A lot of anxiety or a lot of lack of peace also comes from not knowing the outcome. The same is true for excitement of, of things we enjoyed. It's kind of, kind of double-edged, right? Like, like, why don't we want to know the end of a movie before we watch it? Because that's like half the excitement. Why don't we want to know who won the game or what the score was before we watch it, right? Because that's part of the excitement. And if that's lost, something is lost in it, even if we haven't seen the end. So if a team is up by six touchdowns at halftime, and um, they're pulling their, their quarterback. You're not uh, going to church on the weekend and being like, hey, did you catch that game? Like, it was just so good. Yeah, yeah, they were up like 50 points. Why? Because halfway through, you were like, we already know what's going to happen. Like, it's just going to be more of, more of the same. And there's something in that. There's something about not knowing how it's going to end that can lead to excitement when it comes to things like football, or anxiety when it comes to uh, other things that feel more important in our lives. And the truth is that we don't know the outcome of so many of those things, but God does, right? Part of knowing God is knowing that God is all-knowing. God knows the outcome and when we don't know the specifics of all these different facets of our life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know the end, right? You know where you're going. And you know that Jesus is going to come back. And you know he's going to make everything wrong, right. And you know he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Those are specific promises of God that help us to achieve peace, to find the peace that surpasses understanding. We know that in verse 7, or we're reminded that in verse 7, our glory comes from him. We know that he is trustworthy. We know he doesn't lie. And we know he doesn't make a promise that he can't fulfill. He won't have to come back later and say, actually, it didn't work out. He is all Powerful. He has the power to accomplish all of that. And in verse 8, we're reminded that when we pour out our hearts to him in prayer, he hears us 
and he cares for us, and he wants us to bring those things to him. He is, this is the phrase that came to mind as I was, as I was thinking about this for my own life, he is our ultimate safe space. We all like to uh, or have that person that we vent to, and maybe vent is kind of like a, people feel differently about that word. We talk to, the, to that person about hard things that are going on in our life, right? Someone uh, that cares about us, someone that is for our good, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a roommate or, or a parent or something like that. We all have someone like that or desire someone like that that we can talk to those things about. And God is so much better than that person right? No one cares about you and what's going on in your life like God does. No one is more for your good than God is. No one is, can give you more uh, wise advice than God can or point you in the right direction. Um, and this is the one that God specifically brought to my, my heart was God doesn't have bad days and bring his own junk into that, right? So, <laughs> I'm sure none of you have ever experienced this, where you're having a really, really bad day, and that person, whether it's a spouse or whatever, um, also comes home from work around the same time, or, or maybe you're at home with the kids, and you're like, I can't wait for, for, for them to get home, or whatever it is, and, and you get ready to kind of unload and just be like, oh man, it was a horrible day, and, and they come through the door, and they're like, oh, my day was horrible. I can't, if, if I hear one more thing, like, I, I will just... I'll just explode, right? What do you do in those situations, right? God never has a bad day. He's never like, I just can't right now. He wants you to bring those things to him. And the obvious application, of course, is the one you'd kind of expect to hear in church. It was mentioned here in this passage. It was mentioned in the Philippians passage. It was mentioned last week. Let's pray to God. Make your requests known. But here's the spin I want to put on it, is as we're, we're praying in our, our thought life, what we think about, what we're meditating on, we need to spend some more time just thinking about who God is, those sorts of things we were just talking about. Spend more time thinking about who God is. And when you read your Bible, notice I said when, not if, when you read your Bible, are you expecting, looking for reminders of who God is and his character? Or are we simply reading? Are we being intentional about looking for those things as we read? Or are we just reading? In the midst of this kind of whole point about knowing God as, as a way of getting that peace that surpasses that understanding, let me uh, just uh, say it a little bit stronger. Is that... Is that kind of okay to say from up here? Let me say it a little bit stronger. When, when I'm anxious, when, when you're anxious, there's something you're not uh, believing correctly about God, or there's a lie that you are believing, and you're showing that by your actions. Not that you would say it. So if, if I went up to you, and especially now, as we're kind of like, we're sitting at church, and we have the Bible right in front of us, we would never say, uh, God is not loving, right? You would always say, yeah, God is loving and he's for my good. But when I, I am, am anxious about something, and this is my kind of reaction, is, is sit here and think, 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 think of, of 
how do I possibly kind of turn this out to, and kind of make this turn out the way I want it to go? What I'm really saying is, God isn't wiser than me. Or, or yeah, God's plan isn't, isn't really what's best. Like, my plan is best. His, his priorities aren't really the right priorities. Like, my priorities are the better priorities. And when we, again, when we say it out loud, it's like, of course that's not true. But we operate, I operate that way a lot of times. Lots of things tempt us to say, God isn't in this. Right? I can't pay my bills this month. I, I, can pay, I can pay my bills this month, so don't like try to hand me money on the way out. <laughs> but I can't pay my bills this month. How could God be in that? Right? How could God be loving? How could God say he's taking care of me? I can't pay my bills this month. But the truth is he is. He is in that. And he is taking care of you. And the spiritual attack in these moments of anxiety will be just like the garden Satan, the serpent. Do you guys remember? Genesis 3, I think it's verse 1. I didn't write it down. What did he say? What did he say? Did God really say? Did God really say? That's an attack on on how we think about, view God and his promises. Did God really say? Or maybe for us, is God really blank. That's the temptation in in that moment. And there's a sense in which we can say that disbelief or a lack of faith is the root of all sin. I'm just going to like throw that out there and then not back it up um, because that that could be a whole sermon series on its own. But I'm I'm just going to say, or I say that to say, when we pursue sin or we pursue an idol, inevitably we're saying, God's way isn't best, or God isn't providing this thing that I actually need, or we're saying something about God in that moment that isn't true. But the point is, when the temptations come, take those thoughts captive. This is for us now. When those temptations come, we have to take those thoughts captive when we are hearing or thinking in ourselves, did God really say, or is God really? Take those thoughts captive, put off that falsehood and put on the truth. And in those moments of struggle, pray. So let's make it super practical. Uh, if you are um, crazy, hypothetical example, anxious about uh, Christmas with family and with relatives, again, can't imagine why. <laughs> Asking yourself the questions when you find yourself in that headspace, where is God in this? Where is God in this? Because any sort of suffering, anxiety or lack of peace or depression or any of these things included, inevitably makes ourselves um, kind of focus in on ourselves, right? It has a way of doing that. And even asking ourselves that simple question has a way of kind of broadening our thinking and returning us to God. What does my anxiousness say about God? The things I'm anxious about, what does it say I'm believing about God? That's the first way to peace, is to know God. The second is to let go of control. 
So don't idolize control. Don't demand control. There's lots of things we can control in our lives. There's a heck of a lot that we can't and never will be able to. And here I'm using demand control to simply say when control becomes this felt need, you feel like you need control over whatever this is, then it becomes an idol, and then control has control over us. Because once it becomes a need, once control becomes a need, then all sorts of things are justifiable. I need control, but I don't have it, so I will lie. I will get angry to intimidate others. I will uh, manipulate to make this turn out. And it's all justified because it's a need. And we, we know this intuitively, right? If, if uh, you hear about someone who, who got arrested for stealing uh, a truck full of iPhones, you're not going to have like tons of of pity on them, or you think differently about that situation than uh, a homeless per person stole a loaf of bread, right? How we, how we see those situations, how we think about those people is different. Why? Because we think about the need of a loaf of bread versus the need for a truck full of iPhones. And when we feel whatever it is, is a need, all of a sudden, the way we think about ourselves and kind of things we're doing, things we're letting slide that we otherwise wouldn't, all of a sudden becomes justified. It becomes okay. So look back at verses three and four with me. The psalmist is under attack by his enemies. It seems like a, an opportunistic one where he's, he's weak. He's like a leaning fence. Um, you can imagine if you are a invader, kind of seeking a place along a wall to invade, you're looking for, hey, it's kind of leaning over there or it's kind of tottering over there. I think I'll, I think I'll go in there. Those would be obvious signs of that. And their plan, we learn in verse four, is to take him from his position via these attacks. And if, if it is David or about David, dethrone him. Part of how they're accomplishing this is with falsehood lies being two-faced, right? Where they're, when they're with him to his face, they're blessing the ruler. But in reality, in their heart, when they're not right in front of him, their true intentions is by their deceit and crafty attacks actually hurt him. My question is, do these sound like the actions of someone trusting in the Lord? So not, not David, but these attackers just for a moment, I want to focus on them. Do these sound like actions of someone trusting in the Lord? You've heard it said that you can recognize an idol when you sin to get something. And they are so after this position, this success, and this endeavor, whatever they're after, they're willing to attack and to lie to get it. Trying to take control you might say. And we might ask, are they content? Are they at peace? Are this, is this the fruit of someone who is experiencing peace in their life? In the midst of all this striving, this lying and, and attacking, do they have peace? And the text doesn't say, but I feel like from the context, it seems obvious based on their striving that they're not, they're not at peace. Contrast that with the psalmist, David, whoever it is. Is he striving or is, is he at peace? 
And again, it doesn't say directly, but in verse five, it says he is waiting in silence. He's not striving. He is waiting on the Lord. He has hope in the Lord. And while he might appear to be a tottering fence, and there's a sense in which in his own strength he is, in truth, because of his hope and his trust in the Lord, that he's not a towering fence, but has a fortress. And these attacks and these hard circumstances will not succeed. Friends, I know here this morning, just, just with the number of us here, it's inevitable that some of us here this morning are feeling weak, that are feeling more like that tottered fence than that strong fortress. And it's easy to think, if only this were different, if, if only this part of my life were different, then I would have peace, then I would be happy. If I, if I just had more money, if, I just, uh, if this family member was still around, if I could just make the holidays perfect, if my boss was a better boss, if I had less work, if this was a certain way, then... I would have peace. And we need to be faithful and, and do what we can, but not to the point of sin, not to sacrificing other more important good things, not at the expense of our families or others. The truth is, it's not worth it, is it? We've, we've obtained some of these things that we've so longed for after in our hearts, and it didn't give us lasting peace, maybe for a while, but it doesn't provide that peace we so desire. So returning to our example, again, crazy thought, maybe some anxiousness around visiting family for the holidays. How does this help? Questions I can ask myself in that moment of temptation and anxiousness, lack of peace. Am I in prayer giving up the outcome to God? So we, so we talked about recently in, in James, like if the Lord wills, that sort of thing. Am I giving up the outcome to God or am I, do I really feel like I need to make it happen a certain way? Am I focusing too much on something I actually can't control? Am I, am I striving after something? Am I focused on something that I actually can't control no matter how hard I try? And we see something similar in verse 10, coming in the context of riches. Who hasn't been tempted at some point to pursue riches or, or to desire more riches, especially as a vessel for security or comfort or all the different things it's supposed to bring? And in this passage, it leads some to extortion and to robbery, and that's examples of the fruit of a heart set on those things. So we're warned and don't. Don't set your heart on those things. They're not nearly as important as they seem to be. Instead, seek reward from God, things that last. That's our third point, is to desire eternal things. Desire eternal things, not those earthly things. Seek first the kingdom. Instead, we are naturally after the temporary, the immediate gratification, the mundane, things that will matter in this life, the power, the influence, the love of people, making sure you are first. Set your heart on those things. That will lead to peace, right? Obviously. 
Like, like we said at the beginning, in a culture enamored by those sorts of things, if that were true, we'd expect to find lots of peace categorizing our culture, but instead it's more anxiety and strife. No, instead, verse 1 and 5 shows us, by example, to wait on God alone. And verse 9 reminds us that whether you're poor, rich, powerful, weak, as they put it, of lowest state or highest state, our lives are what? Our lives are what? It's just a breath. Our lives are just a breath. Poof, and it's gone. Your highest state is a delusion, is the word it uses. It's so temporary in light of eternity, you're deluded to think you're any better than the, the person of low estate, any more well off than that person. If you think it's important to be on top in this life, and here it is again, another metaphor, this time with the balance. And they used balances a lot more in, in those days for, for commerce and trade and, and that sort of thing. So it would have been really, really familiar. But you guys kind of know, right? Like you put two objects in it, and, and based on how much they weigh, they evil. If they're the same, it, it's evened out. And if one's heavier, it goes like this. And they, they put these two different types of life, one that has that all, all of that stuff, one that doesn't. And when you weight it, it doesn't even move the balance. It's so light. It's, it's nothing. It's, it's lighter than air. It's, it's a breath. Instead, set your hope on God, on eternal things, things that won't be destroyed or go away. That's when that promise of from God is our salvation has power, right? Because if you... Uh, are striving after, after money and, and fame and fortune and, and power and, and all these other things in this life, then this promise over here that God has your salvation, who cares? It almost seems irrelevant. This has nothing to do with me getting all these other things that I really want. But when this is what I'm, my heart is set on, and when this is what I desire, then I can have confidence. Then I won't be shaken when circumstances and, and just life gets in the way of all of this stuff over here. And we kind of see the end of that in verse 12. God is going to render or reward someone based on their work. And it might not be in this life. It may be in the next. But again, that's what we should be striving after. That's what we should value. Final time, going back to our example uh, what am I, um, in the midst of anxiousness about the holiday season, being with family, a question I can ask myself is, what am I wanting? And you guys could probably uh, have heard it so many times from me, you could pair it back to me, but, but for me personally, it's always that ease and comfort. Like, I want the holidays to be easy, and that's when I'm tempted to be anxious. Is it going to be? Probably not. Or, or what, what is the thing I'm anxious about? Am I anxious about uh, God's glory? Right? I've, that's probably very few of us when we're anxious. Am I anxious about my opportunities to share the gospel? Like, the things God cares about. Is that the things I'm anxious about? Or is it, like I was saying, my own ease and comfort? Or something like that of, of earthly value? I love seeing how 
Old Testament and New Testament intersect and kind of build. And I want to um, go to Luke 12, because I think Jesus makes a similar point, kind of has similar themes of what we've talked about this morning. So I just want you guys to listen for it as I'm, as I'm reading. Starting in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will drink, be merry. And said to my soul, excuse me, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this is the, directly the next verse. This is kind of the conclusion. And he said to his disciples, therefore, so this is coming out of that last passage, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about this laying up treasures for yourself and instead be rich toward God. But he goes on to list all these different things that we would kind of consider needs, like, like your life or, or food or health or clothing. And in verse 31, the conclusion is, instead seek his kingdom. And these things, what we would actually kind of call needs, will be added to you. And again, the conclusion is, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Provide yourself with a treasure in the heavens that can't be taken, that is found in God alone. Desire those things, desire those eternal things. And that leads us to our last point. So remember that the Prince of Peace, Jesus, came for you. That's the name of Jesus we hear a lot, especially around Christmas time. It actually comes from uh, an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, about the Messiah, from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Ultimately, he is the source of our peace. When he came down to earth, ultimately being tempted in, in every way as we are, but without sin, so that he might die on the cross for our sins, pay the price that we couldn't. So that we, when we put our faith in him and trust in his sacrifice for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, we can have peace. And in fact, he promises peace, peace that can be yours today. But that is a promise for believers, people who have done that, who have put their trust in Jesus. And, and so if you haven't this morning, I would invite you to. I would invite you into that peace. That peace can be yours, and you can make that decision right now. Our previous three points rest on this one. We know God 
through Jesus. We can let go of control because we know he is in control. We can stop trying to pursue those earthly things. We can stop trying to justify ourselves, feel like we're constantly building this resume and make everything just right because Jesus has finished the work on our behalf. And in, out of that and out of thankfulness, we can pursue those heavenly things. Let me just close with John chapter 14, verse 27. Again, it's Jesus' words for us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we pray for peace this morning. Peace that comes from trusting you. Peace that cannot be found in our own selves, our own strength, or our power, or our ability to manipulate things just how we want them. We confess that so often amongst the, the busyness of the season, we desire these earthly things and can be distracted more than the kingdom and these heavenly things and heavenly treasures. Father, I ask that you would change our hearts to desire those things, to be more like yours. Thank you for sending your son, the Prince of Peace, to die for us, that your glory, of course, for your glory, but also that we might have peace. Help us to find, seek after that peace in you. Amen.